0: So that's 1 Samuel 10, um, and I'll start reading at verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us, So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had made all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, "'Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies.' They ran out and brought him out, and as he stood amongst the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, "'Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people.' Then the people shouted, "'Long live the king!' Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord." Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrel said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash, the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days so that we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? They then repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen and cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then The people people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us, so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. This is God's word.
1: Thank you. Um, evening, everyone. My name's Scott. Uh, I'm the student minister here. Um, let's pray as we, uh, as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that, that a story that, that is at first reading, maybe distant from our experience, uh, speaks to us. We thank you that your word is living and active. And Father, we ask that it would um, pierce, that it would convict, that it would encourage that we might see more of Christ through this story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If, um, if the last couple of weeks, few weeks I guess, have taught us anything, um, it is that evil in our world is, is real. You can't look at what's going on and come to any other conclusion, can you? Evil is real and in the face of that evil, we are so often helpless, that is, for, for, all, for all the West's uh, response, for all the outrage at what has been going on in, in Ukraine, for all that, that, that the West would be able to outgun um, Russia, for all the, the economic sanctions that have been imposed, even for, for the moral authority that, um, that, that seems to be weighed against uh, the war, ultimately, well, not a lot has changed, has it? we have been unable uh, to stop uh, the onslaught of evil in Ukraine. We've, we've not been able to stop um, rockets raining down on civilians uh, trying to flee for their lives. Uh, and I don't know, who, who knows how this war will end, and, and we must pray that, that the peace talks that are ongoing would bring some, uh, some success, that there would be peace but any, any deal that is struck and um, will almost certainly not deal with every evil that has been committed. And probably um, Putin will get some of what he wants uh, through this war. We want evil to be stopped when we see it. We want it to be dealt with um, once and for all. And yet we are helpless in the face of real evil. We long, don't we, for, for a leader able to, to do something about it, someone who could just come in and, and deal with evil. People in, in our passage um, this evening, 1 Samuel 11, they are faced with a real evil and they need someone to, to come and step in and deal with it. And that is what they get um, in their king in Saul, they are threatened by evil, and the king comes to rescue them. Um, it, it, it's been a few weeks since we've been in one, Samuel, so um, let me just remind you of what's going on in, in the book. Israel um, have asked for a king. Samuel the prophet, he's, he's told the people that, that means they're rejecting God. They don't want God as their king. They, w- they want a human king like all the other nations um, around them. God even tells them that it won't end well and that it'll go badly in the end for them. But that's what they want. And so God tells Samuel the prophet to anoint Saul as king, to give the people and um, what they want. And the last time um, we were in 1 Samuel, we were in chapter 10, we saw that, that Saul, he, he looks impressive He's a head taller than any other Israelite. He looks impressive, but he's not really acting much like a king. So at the grand sort of reveal uh, ceremony uh, of him as, as the new king. Well, they can't find him because he's, he's hiding away uh, among the supplies. By the end of chapter 10, um, some of the people are asking, how can this fellow save us? What sort of a king is Saul, how can he save us? And the answer that we get in in chapter 11, and we're focusing on this evening, is he can save because he's empowered by God's spirit. And at his best, and this is Saul at his best here in chapter 11, this is Saul as a, a good king, a king who rescues God's people, a king who defeats evil, and yet, as we'll, as we'll go through, even at his best, um, Saul is, is just a faint shadow of the true king. And we need King Jesus to crush evil once and for all. And that is what he has done. That's where we're going. And you'll see on, uh, on your service sheet the outline and um, how we'll, we'll work through the passage. Firstly, God's people are threatened by the serpent. Secondly, God's people are rescued by the spirit-empowered king. And thirdly, God's people are united by the king's mercy. Firstly then, God's people are threatened by the serpent. Let me read again from verse one. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash The Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. God's people, right at the beginning of of Saul's kingship, are threatened. They're threatened by Nahash, the Ammonite. Nahash um, literally means serpent. Nahash serpent, um, and if you know anything about your Old Testament, when you hear that someone is called serpent, it, it 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 rings alarm bells, and you know what you're going to get with Nahash the Ammonite. It's a little bit like um, if you see on the poster for a film, um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you sort of know what you're going to get: high budget. Low plot, low quality. Um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know uh, what you're going to get. But well, when you see, when you read here, Nahash the Ammonite serpent, um, you know what you're going to get. He, it, it is a picture in the Bible of of evil, and it has been ever since Genesis three, when the serpent in the garden tempts um, Adam and Eve. And so here we have the serpent besieging um, Jabesh Gilead. The people, and perhaps unsurprisingly, they they want a deal. They don't want to face this this evil. But the deal they want basically involves their total surrender uh, to him. But Nahash, the the serpent, he's not content with with that. He he doesn't just want to capture uh, their land and enslave them. No, he wants to humiliate them. Um, it, it is a brutal and um, gruesome thing that he wants to do, I mean, he wants to gouge out the right eye from each one of them. And there's, there's no sort of ambiguity there, is there? there's no question about, um, is this a war crime, is this not? Nahash, the serpent, wants to absolutely humiliate, humiliate the people. And the people, uh, perhaps rightly, they sort of stall for time. I think that's what they're doing when they ask for the seven days uh, to see if someone will come and rescue them. And so confident is, uh, is the serpent, is Nahash, that he allows them at this seven days. Who, who are these people um, being threatened? They are, they are part of the people of Israel. They are God's people. But um, they're not uh, the best examples of God's people. These, these are not the, um, the standout examples when it comes to the Israelites. So back in Judges 21, uh, not long before, Uh, this time. During Israel's civil war, the men of of Jabesh Gilead were nowhere to be seen when um, Israel needed defending. Not one of them uh, came uh, to fight for Israel. And now, now that they're in trouble and asking for help, they're asking other Israelites to come and risk their lives for them. And I guess if you you were an average Israelite, you'd be tempted to ask, should I even bother? Should I risk my life for them? Who are they? So we find God's people are, are threatened by evil. And it looks like the serpent is going to win. It looks like evil will win. And I think you could use that, um, that is a picture in, in small to explain why Jesus had to come at all. So way back in Genesis 3:15, speaking to the serpent, this picture of evil, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, ever since Genesis 3, humanity has, has had an enemy, a real enemy, And evil is real. God's people are not immune from the evil in the world. And we see that here in 1 Samuel 11. We see it um, with Christian suffering in Ukraine and many other places around the world. Christians are not immune from evil. And that is why um, Jesus had to come uh, to crush evil, to deal with it once and for all. So God's people are threatened by evil and it looks like the serpent is going to win until, and that is secondly, God's people are rescued by the spirit-empowered king. God's people are rescued by the spirit-empowered king. Verse four. When When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. And he asked, what is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. See, when the message comes to Israel, actually they respond pretty well. They're they're sad. They weep when they hear what their fellow Israelites are about to suffer. But what the people of of Jabesh need is more than tears. They need a rescue. And that is only possible where God is at work. Verse uh, verse six. When Saul heard these words, the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. When, God, when Saul hears what, is, what has been threatened to God's people, God's spirit comes powerfully upon him. It's, it, it literally means God's spirit rushes on Saul. It's, it's a pretty rare thing in the, in the Old Testament, actually, for God's Spirit to come powerfully in this way on someone. It only happens to Saul um, in this chapter and in the earlier chapter, chapter 10, when he prophesies. And it happens to Samson in Judges 3, when he needs to stand up and defend uh, God's people against the enemy. The point here um, is not that, that Saul is some great hero. Um, that he, you know, He's the great leader of the the, the Vladimir Zelensky type who stands up uh, to evil and he 's not the hero of the story. The point is if if God's people are going to be saved, God has to do it God's spirit has to be at work. God's spirit comes powerfully on Saul and he 's filled with anger and then he does this this sort of strange um, recruitment tactic of chopping up his oxen and sending them out uh, towards uh, to all Israel I'm not exactly sure what. Um, what the point of that is, but it seems to work because the people are filled, we're told, with the terror of the Lord and they come together as one. And the people of Israel who who had been pretty disunited um, up until this point are brought together uh, under the king. 330,000 of them prepared to fight and die to rescue um, the undeserving people of of Jabesh. Verse 9, They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. By anyone's standards, it is a comprehensive victory. Nahash's army is devastated. King Saul, empowered by God's spirit, crushes the serpent and rescues God's people. But I wonder, as you had it read, if if it sat slightly strangely with you, if you thought, Okay, Saul is empowered by God's spirit to be angry and to slaughter um, an entire army. Is that the kind of thing God's spirit does? It doesn't seem uh, very loving, does it? It doesn't seem like a godly thing uh, to do. But the point here is that that when his people are threatened, um, God doesn't mess around. He loves his people, and that means dealing with their enemies, dealing with his enemies in order to save the people. That is what it takes. I don't know how much, um, how much you were following uh, the, the drama of last week um, at the Oscars. Um, I mean, no one was watching it initially, and then everyone um, watched the video um, of, of Will Smith uh, slapping Chris Rock. And the, the, the interesting thing, at least initially uh, with that story, was that th- there was some people weren't sure what to make of it initially. W- was, um, was Chris Rock wrong? Was Will Smith in the right? Were they both wrong? Is it right um, uh, that in, in defending uh, someone that you love from, uh, from an ill-timed, um, inappropriate joke, is that, a, is that a reason, is that an excuse, a good excuse for, for violence? Is that a good excuse to hit someone? And there was sort of, people weren't sure, were they? There were people coming out in support, at least initially, and people find it hard to, uh, to determine. But uh, just imagine um, for a minute a slightly different scenario. Imagine that the scenario is, is not just one of disrespect or offense, um, but of, of genuine, uh, real threat. So imagine that, that, that Chris Rock, instead of just throwing out insults, um, had come, uh, come towards um, Jada Pinkett Smith with, with a knife or with a bomb um, strapped to his chest. Well, then um, the actions of Will Smith w- would have been entirely justified, entirely right. It would be the loving thing uh, to, to shut that person down, to use whatever means to protect. The level of threat, we kind of get that, don't we? The level of threat involved um, determines whether something is, is proportionate, is, is right and good or not. The level of threat matters. And, and there is no ambiguity here, is there? The threat to God's people is absolutely real. And the evil that they are facing is real and it must be Stopped. And that is what God's spirit enables Saul to do. To stop evil in its tracks and to wipe it out. That is what God's king does. Deals with evil and rescues his people. And of course, there's there's no moral ambiguity, is there? When when Jesus um, defeats evil, the threat to God's people is real It is serious and so serious that that it takes the death of God's son and to crush the serpent's head. But that is what is required to save, to rescue God's people. And that is what God will do, has done. And of course, Jesus' victory over evil is even more comprehensive uh, than Saul's here. It is total And so when we are helpless, when we feel helpless and powerless to do anything about evil in our world, Jesus crushed it at the cross. That is what we all celebrate uh, this week at Easter. He crushes it. The true spirit-empowered king who rescues God's people by defeating evil. And the consequence of that then here, thirdly, is that God's people are united by God's mercy. God's people are united by God's mercy, by the king's mercy. uh, Verse four of chapter 11. The people then said to Samuel, who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. It is the sort of natural response um, uh, to, uh, to victory. When one side gains such comprehensive victory that they want to use that position of power uh, to wipe out all opposition um, entirely. While, we're, you know, while we're, uh, we're so good at defeating our enemies, let's just wipe out um, some of the people we, we don't like. Let's get rid of uh, some of the, the annoyances in our own side. And I guess you couldn't have um, blamed Saul for taking advantage of this great victory to cement his position of power in Israel. Yeah, let's, let's get rid of, of my opponents. But Saul here, again, he, he has another good king moment. Instead of abusing his power and wiping out all opponents, he shows mercy to them, verse 13. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today for this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. See, Saul knows that it was God who rescued the people, not him. And that God's rescue brings people together rather than split them apart. It unites God's people behind God's king. Verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. See that in verse 15, how it's now all the people come together to make Saul king. There's not no opposition to God's king now. And so we get to the end of of chapter 11, and I guess the people of Israel and and us are asking, is Saul um, the serpent crusher promised back in Genesis 3? Here he is. He's just absolutely crushed um, a guy called the serpent. Maybe he is the king that God has promised. Maybe he is the one that we've been waiting for. Saul has, as a good moment here, this is the high point absolutely of Saul's kingly career. But he is not the one that the people were waiting for. He is not ultimately the serpent crusher. He cannot deal fully and finally with all evil. But Jesus can, and Jesus does. Just think, it's it's Palm Sunday, isn't it? Jesus doesn't look much like a king um, as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He doesn't look like a king who's going to win a great victory. But when Jesus dies on Good Friday and it looks like evil has struck yet again, when it looks like the serpent is going to win, well, he then rises to new life on Easter Day. And in doing so, crushes the serpent. He deals with evil and he guarantees his victory um, over evil. Listen to how um, Paul talks about the implications of Jesus' resurrection for us um, in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Then the end will come when he, that is Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet jesus resurrection his his death and rising to new life show guarantees his victory over all powers dominions and authorities all evil will be put under his feet he is the good king, the true king that Saul points us to. And so what do, we, what do we do with that then? It's a strange story in many ways, and it is in some ways removed from us. But here are two things, I think, um, two things we should do, we must do as a result of this passage. And we must entrust our lives to King Jesus, and we must celebrate his victory Firstly, then, entrust your life to King Jesus. If you're here this evening and, and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, I don't know how, what, how you've dealt with um, the reality of evil uh, that we've seen in the past weeks. This passage will say to us, in the face of real evil, the answer is, is not to, to bury our heads, or to cover our eyes. It is to trust in the King who is able to crush evil, who has crushed evil. He is the one to run to and to entrust our lives to. And so if, you, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus and you want to chat to someone about what that would look like, um, do speak, uh, do grab a, a member of staff or chat to the person uh, who brought you. Be a wonderful thing uh, in in advance of Easter Sunday to put your trust in the One who can and has crushed evil. But for those of us uh, for those of us who have done that, I think that the application here is, is to celebrate Jesus' victory, to celebrate it. That's what the people um, do. That's how our passage concludes, isn't it? At verse fifteen. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. That is what you do when you know that the king has won a great victory. You celebrate Jesus' victory over evil. It is worth celebrating, isn't it? Um, I I don't know if you're like me. I'm I'm as guilty as any of of just letting the truths of the gospel wash, um, wash over me. But to know that Jesus has crushed uh, the serpent's head, that evil has been dealt with, that is worth celebrating, isn't it? Particularly, I think, um, in, in this week, in the run-up to Easter. It's a great time to do that. I, I don't know um, what, the, what the conversation has been like in your office or um, among your flatmates and with all that's been going on uh, in the world Why not, at this week in particular, why not, um, in the midst of those conversations, try and say something like this? Something like, evil is real. Yeah, this evil that we see is real. And that makes me all the more thankful for Easter. That makes me thankful uh, for Easter. I don't know how how your colleagues um, would respond to that. I guess they might wonder... What do you mean a long weekend and um, chocolate that you can just drown your you know turn away from the world and just eat more chocolate? Maybe it would open up a conversation where actually you can say, no, Jesus' resurrection it shows that he has defeated evil. He has dealt with it. So when we face, when we see real evil now, well, I can still have hope. I do have hope that that is not the final. Word. That'd be one way I think this week of, of celebrating Jesus' victory over evil. But of course, c- celebration it, it won't always um, look like a party. Um, you know, for, for some of us, as we see uh, evil uh, on our screens, celebrating will, will mean clinging, clinging to the truth that Jesus is victorious. Over evil. For those of us who who have experienced real evil done against us, um, celebrating will mean trusting, clinging to the reality that Jesus is victorious. We can celebrate that um, even, even through tears. Evil is real, absolutely, but God's King has crushed the serpent. Jesus has defeated evil. His resurrection shows us, uh, guarantees it and shows it to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for your victory over evil. Father, not just, not just one um, evil king uh, hundreds of years ago, but over every evil in and through the death of the Lord Jesus, which, which crushes the serpent's head. He is the Spirit-empowered King. Come to rescue us. Father, please help us, uh, therefore, to, to entrust our lives to him, to know that he is the one worth uh, living for. He is the one worth serving. And please would we celebrate uh, his victory. Father, please would we be um, joyful Um, celebrating people this week in particular, that others might see uh, something of, of what it means to trust in the king who crushes evil. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.